interesting little side for you all before I begin. Uh, today marks virtually to the day, pretty much, uh, 10 year anniversary of joining CCE. <laughs> so uh, I think it's safe to say when I uh, started coming along that uh, I didn't expect a moment today to be standing here preaching. Uh, but, you know, God likes to have a laugh. Uh, he has interesting plans for us we never, ex that we never expected, and obviously thanks to the encouragement and teaching that I've received over the years here, uh, from not just from Andy and previous Andy and uh, others. Uh, I'm now in a position that I can stand here before you and let the Lord use me to shed some light on his words. So before we dive in, let's come to the Lord in prayer and uh, ask him to help us this morning. So let's pray. Father, we uh, just pray now that uh, you would help us to concentrate on your word. Help me to be able to open your word up to everybody here. And I just pray that you would bless us this morning and teach us what it is you want us to learn. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to just start off right from the start. So the message of today's talk is a right view of this present world will result in a right standing before God. So... I wonder if you've ever had a situation where you're, you've completely misunderstood something. I'm sure you have, I know I have. Uh, it could be that you've not understood the commitment that is expected of you or for a project and work. Or you've misinterpreted a quote uh, for work to be completed in your home and when you've received the final bill, you've been pretty shocked at uh, what you're expected to pay. Or you've become a Christian and thought, all you need to do, ask Jesus into your life, that's it. After that, life can continue exactly as it has before. No changes needed whatsoever. Well, that's kind of the problem that the church in Corinth was having. They had a misunderstanding of church leaders and what the Christian life entails. So Paulus decided he needs to correct their view. We're now into our fifth week of talks centered on 1 Corinthians. But it's still worth getting a quick background on where we are at up to this point. Basically, a, a division formed in the church regarding the apostles and church leaders. Paul's already called out the Corinthians on this. He's covered the issue in chapters 1 and chapter 3. But again, he's coming back to this issue in chapter 4. So I think it's, it's fair to say that this is a big problem for the church in Corinth that Paul needed to really focus on. You see, the church in Corinth was basically doing an ancient version of readmyteacher.com. You get the idea. Some thought that Paul was better, while others thought this guy Apollos was better. But Paul told them plainly in, in chapter 3, verse 21, he said, So then, no more boasting about human leaders. Paul's point to the church was that they all belong to Christ. So stop these petty comparisons. Now that doesn't mean that church leaders should be exempt from our scrutiny. Far from it. But there is a right way to view our leaders, and this is what Paul is trying to show the church in Corinth, and hopefully show us here today. And if we have a right view of our Christian leaders, then we can begin to have a right expectation of what the Christian life involves. So that brings us to our first point today. A right view of church leaders remembers that God is judge. So I think it's safe to say the Corinthians were missing the point when it came to their church leaders. They thought they had to pin them against each other and have a favorite. Reading this now with 2,000 years of history behind us, this all seems crazy. Here's the thing, can we really say we're not guilty of doing exactly the same? It's human nature to judge people. Sam touched on it last week, we all have our favorite speakers. But my point is we shouldn't look at the church in Corinth and think, 
how silly they all are. We would never fall into this trap. We all fall into this trap. So if we aren't to view preachers as greater than others, or one is better than the other, how should we view them? Well, Paul's answer is right in verse 1. He says there in verse 1, This then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ, and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Seems pretty clear. But let's unpack this a little. Paul says they should be regarded as servants. Now, the actual Greek word that was used here for servants was parites, Basically, the same word used to describe a rower on an ancient vessel, a nobody, a cog in the machine. Paul's point is the work of the apostles is tough. It's hard work, it's not glamorous, but they are simply cogs in the machine of evangelism. There's suffering involved, but it's all for the good of the one that they serve, the Lord Jesus Christ. But they weren't just servants. See the second half of verse one? They were entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. You see, they're not important in and of themselves. Nothing they say or do makes them more important uh, than anybody else, but that doesn't diminish the importance of the responsibility they've been given. God has revealed to them his mysteries through his Holy Spirit, mysteries that they were to reveal to the world through their teachings. In verse two, Paul continues, now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Basically, their employees who've been given a role to carry out when the time comes for them to stand in judgment, it'll be like they're having their performance reviewed. Have they completed the targets set for them? Have they gone above and beyond? In verse three, we're shown how Paul doesn't care what any other person thinks of him. He's not saying, I don't care what you think, I'm, I'm awesome. He himself says in this verse, I do not even judge myself. He goes further in verse four, it is the Lord who judges me. In other words, I'll have my performance review with my boss, God, and he'll judge how I perform, not you. Paul knows that judgment from man is meaningless. It's only the judgment of our Lord and Creator that truly matters. He knows that he's far from perfect. He even calls himself the worst of sinners in 1 Timothy 1. But he also knows that he's a faithful servant of the Lord. When we judge our church leaders, we're basing it on outward things we see them say or do. We can't see their hearts. We don't know their, their motivations, no matter how well we think we know them. If we look at Paul, he was known to be a poor speaker. He covered this previously in chapter one, where he says that Christ sent him to preach, but not with words of wisdom. He would later mention it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse six, where he calls himself an untrained and unskilled speaker. If we were judging Paul simply based on how good his preaching was, well, we, we wouldn't have a very high opinion of him. But God can see every part of us and everything that makes us who we are. Only he can truly judge. And he will judge. It's like the parable of the talents. In, cartoon. In Matthew 25, 14 to 30, Jesus told the parable of the talents. It was three servants entrusted with the wealth of their master. The first two servants put the wealth they'd been given to work and doubled it. While the third servant buried his wealth in the ground. When the master returned, we're told he settled accounts with them. To the two servants who doubled their wealth, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. But to the third servant, he said, wicked, lazy servant. Ultimately, he had that servant thrown outside. We're told it was into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. A very familiar term to many of us. It's a sign of God's judgment upon his servants. 
Paul knows that God will judge the work of his servants, especially those who have responsibility to lead others in the church. Likewise, our own church leaders in CC know this. So what should our response be, knowing that God will judge our leaders in the end? Well, we need to support them. We can do this by praying faithfully for them. We should be thankful for our leaders and should hold them up to the Lord in prayer, asking that he protects them and keeps them strong in faith. Likewise, we should be praying for each other, that we will be able to support each other and guide each other in the right ways of the Lord. Now, I'm not saying we can't have a favorite preacher, far from it. It's perfectly normal to gravitate towards a preacher who you connect with and who opens God's word to you clearly. But that shouldn't be at the detriment of listening to others. We need to be able to hear from a wide variety of speakers, and we shouldn't hold them up as great human beings, better than us because they've been given the gift of preaching. That gift doesn't give them a greater status. Paul's point in these verses is clear. Neither Paul nor Apollos are greater. The one who's greater is God. Paul and Apollos are merely servants. Paul brought the message of salvation to the church in Corinth. Apollos then helped the church to grow in their understanding of this. Two men with the same message, but he had different responsibilities to the church. But why did the church have such wrong views of Christian teachers? What was the true source of this misunderstanding? Well, Paul says that the wrong views are formed from wrong expectations of the Christian life. And that brings us to our second point. A right expectation of the Christian life remembers it is now, but also not yet. So in this part, we're covering verses 7 to 13. In verse 7, Paul gets straight to the point. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Imagine one day, Jeff Bezos, richest person in the world, arrived in your doorstep and he said he was giving you everything he had. Every last penny of his $131 billion fortune was yours. Never gonna happen, but you know, stick with me here. Now imagine you turn around to all your family and friends and say, finally, all my hard work and dedication is paid off. I deserve this, I've earned all of it. Really? You seriously believe that you earned money yourself? We all know it's given to you. Why are you acting like you earned it? Are you crazy? It's the same with the church here. All the blessings they have received have come from God. They didn't earn them. Nothing they said or did made them worthy of God's blessing. So why should they turn around and behave as though they're better than others because of them? It doesn't make sense. If anything, they should be helping people to see that it's precisely not because of anything they've done that God has blessed them and that the people can receive this gift too. But again, are we any different? I'm not saying we actively go about lording it over everyone, that we have all these amazing blessings, far from it, but we need to be careful to not fall into the trap of thinking we've done anything to deserve what we have. We need to have the right view of who we are before God. We're nothing in comparison to his greatness. We're not deserving of anything he gives us, but how much better does that make the gift? The God who created everything in this universe who created the smallest building blocks of life to the most massive galaxies. He loves us so much that he blesses us with good things. 
We shouldn't think we're great enough to receive the gift of God's grace or the blessing of preaching or sharing the gospel with others or praying with such eloquence. But likewise, we shouldn't think we're so insignificant and worthless that God wouldn't want to bless us. We shouldn't question the will of the Creator God. He knows we don't deserve anything He gives us, but He doesn't care. He loves us anyway, and He's willing to do what it takes to ensure that we can be right with Him and that we can share in eternity. But Paul's not finished there. He goes on. Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. You've begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign, so that we also might reign with you. Now, who do you recognize this guy? Who is it? Chandler. Thank you. Episode of Friends. Give me a minute. In episode of Friends, Chandler's speaking with Rachel, and she asks him for help and advice. Chandler's response to this request for help? I'm not great at the advice. Can I interest you in a sarcastic comment? <laughs> now, for those of you who've watched Friends, and this is typical of Chandler Bing, he's known for sarcastic remarks throughout the show's run. His way of dealing with difficult and awkward situations was to come out with a witty and sarcastic comment. Funny for us as an audience watching a sitcom, but totally useless when trying to tread the difficult waters of life. So, as fun as it can be to hear about a sitcom from that finished almost 20 years ago, and yes, it really has really been that long, um, why am I talking to you about Chandler Bing? Well, what we're seeing in these few verses is Paul channeling his inner Chandler, throwing some sarcastic jabs at the church in Corinth. Not what you would expect to find in God's word, but it is there. However, the difference between Chandler and Paul is that this biblical sarcasm doesn't come from a place of awkwardness and difficulty in dealing with tough issues. It comes from a place of love. But Paul is seeking to teach the Corinthians that their pride as a church is going to lead them down a very different path to the one that they think. Paul's words to the Corinthians here are a rebuke, but also a message of his love for them. He doesn't want to see them fall into the traps of this world. But how does he get through to them? Apparently, through sarcasm. Are you? He's really cutting through their total misunderstanding here. He's almost ridiculing them in how they see themselves. It's often said that the last person to see our pride is ourselves. Well, Paul can see the Corinthians' pride clearly, and he's calling them out on it. And that should be cutting through to all of us here, too. But why were they proud? Well, Paul continues in verse 8. He says, For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We've made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. So, is Paul wallowing in self-pity here? I don't think so. This isn't Paul's character. What I think he's actually doing is trying to contrast his experiences with theirs. What is an authentic Christian life? Does it involve suffering or does it involve prosperity? Well, Paul is confident that it's the former. We were told as much during his conversion in Acts 9 when God told Ananias, 
I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Suffering goes hand in hand with the Christian life. So ask yourself, do I have a right expectation for the Christian life? Do you expect to be persecuted or do you expect everything to be easy? If we let pride invade our hearts and let us think we've achieved all that God has to offer now, then we're going to be in for a rude awakening. We need to have a right expectation of the Christian life. It is now. We do have blessings from God in this life. We're blessed in this part of the world to have relative wealth compared to many other parts of the world. We're blessed with wonderful families and friendships, homes, jobs. These are all great things and wonderful blessings from God. But are we afraid of what we might lose because of our faith? Are we afraid to share our faith with a colleague in work or to talk to a newcomer at church because we'd rather be spending time with our friends? Are we willing to suffer for Christ or do we want this life to be an easy ride? There's so much more that is not yet. Eternity with the Father awaits us, being able to bask in the glory of he who made us. That's our end goal, so we need to be living a life now that looks to them, not just to now. Now, you may be thinking this is a fairly dark and tough message, but that's not how the message ends. So we'll look to our final point for the message of love that Paul is bringing to the church in Corinth and to us here today. A right way to care for the church. See, the first thing I see in this part of Paul's letter to Corinthians is in verse 14, he writes, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. And it's that phrase right there, my dear children. Straight away it evokes a love and tenderness for the church in Corinth. See, Paul's been laying it on pretty thick in these verses, and previous chapters as well, but here he's showing them those tough words are being said out of love for them. Paul wants to see them thrive. He wants to see them grow in their understanding and love of Jesus Christ. So he says that these things are written, aren't written to shame them. That should be a huge encouragement to all of us. When we hear hard truths, they're not said to beat us down and make us feel worthless. They're said to correct us, to lead us back to the path of salvation and ensure that we can grow in our love and understanding of Jesus Christ, just as Paul was doing for the Corinthian church. Paul sees himself as their spiritual father. In verse 15 he says, Even if you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. That's not him saying that he's their father as God is their father. Rather, it's his way of taking responsibility for their spiritual upbringing. It's Paul's ministry that brought them to faith. And so he wants to ensure that they grow and learn just as a parent with their children. And what better way to teach your children than by example? Paul provides them with Timothy. He calls him in verse 17, his son whom he loves. Someone who can be an example to them, someone who is living out what Paul is teaching and who in turn can show them how to live faithfully. But note that Paul's not finishing there. He still brings a warning at the same time. In verse 18 he writes, some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. Their arrogance can't be ignored. And the sin that no doubt comes with that can't be ignored either. He'll come again, and he will, need, he will weed out those who are hurting the church in Corinth, just as the Lord will come again, and he will weed out those among us who reject him. So what does this mean for us? Well, 
we're all a family. We're all fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters in Christ. So we need to behave like a family. We need to support one another, building each other up in Christ. We need to be able to challenge wrongdoing amongst each other. We need to love one another. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, it says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We need to love one another and encourage one another. And that may mean challenging each other and using tough language, but it's for our own good. Likewise, we should be looking to imitate the godly behavior of others. As Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Now, Paul is beginning to move his argument on some very hard things that he'll talk about for in future chapters, but uh, that, that'll be for later talks, and thankfully not something I need to <laughs> deal with right now. So. Um, but ultimately, let's have a right view of our church leaders. Let's support and encourage them. Hold them up in prayer. Tell them if they've been really, uh, if you've been really encouraged by a talk they made. But don't be afraid to challenge them either. Our church leaders have a responsibility that has been bestowed upon them by God. It doesn't mean they'll always get things right. So if you worry that something is preached that seems contrary to the word, then challenge it. If you worry that we're straying away from God's teachings, challenge it. But do it in love, not in anger. Listen to your church leaders. But most of all, listen to God. Likewise, let's have a right view of the Christian life. It is hard. It will involve suffering in many different forms. The Christian life is about now, that's true, but it's also about later. God has blessed us in so many ways and will continue to do so until the day we die, but those blessings pale in significance to what awaits us in his kingdom. Be prepared to face difficulties in this life. And when they do come, you, can be, you won't be thrown by them, but rather you will be able to dive further into God, finding strength and comfort in Him. And let's make sure we choose a right way to care for the church. We're a family in Christ, so let's act like one. Share time together, build each other up, love each other. One of my dad's favorite phrases is to say, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. Well, we didn't choose one another, God chose us, and he's brought us together to be his family, so let's be a family. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your teachings, Lord, and we pray that you would help us to live out your teachings, Lord. Help us to remember what it is that um, Paul was teaching the church in Corinth. Help us to love each other and to build each other up. Help us to support our leaders. Help us to support each other. Help us to grow in our faith and understanding of you. In Jesus' name.